I think what's what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, you your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zella, VP of Marketing at IronSource. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest that you head out to appsflyers.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Twig 120. We've got myself, Joe Kim, Adam Telfer, Eric Kress, and the Mishka Katkoff. Today, we're going to be covering four articles. First, Zynga's plan to accelerate growth in 2021 by pocketgamer.biz. Second, BlizzCon Online 2021 from The Verge. I'm definitely looking forward to hearing more about that. Third, Valheim, how a five-person team created the most popular game on Steam by IGN. And finally, Rovio, just based upon their recent financial updates. So how are you all doing? Well, kicking. I'm, I'm trying to change my backgrounds constantly because this, this, <laughs> we, we're having renovation at home. So welcome to Savage. Uh, Savage Helsinki. <laughs> nice. I'm glad your uh, your uh, financing is going to good work of creating a great work environment. Yeah, I'm like I like how his chair matches the boxes in the IKEA. I know. <laughs> color matching, color, color coordinated. You can't see the is walls, that, but we got a lot of cool stuff on the wall. Is that the color of your logo, orange and black? Is that like the, the no, theme? No, it's uh, it's the color of Tiger King or Tiger. What was it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It is. All right, the uh, the fitness watch. No, anybody cares at all. And the last thing I, I the more thing, the one thing I hate the most is when people start in on podcasts start talking about personal stuff. But I'm doing it anyway because I'm a, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an idiot. But I am now injury free. I'm getting my bike fixed, and I am down to like I think like 25 percent body fat, and I have 10 percent to go. And I and I think I can actually do it. I know how to do it. I'm going to get it done. Thank you very much. 15 percent by 50. God damn it. All right, moving on. <laughs> okay. Any other personal updates? All I got right. Nothing. Let, let's go. Let's go to the news. So I want to start off, which well, what I start with is literally every twig. So another supercell update. So 
One thing that we've been raising on, on Deconstructor Fun is the importance of product and marketing teams working seamlessly together. And the one thing that Supercell, as we know, they've had their marketing team sitting on the other side of the world in San Francisco. And we've kind of pointed that bringing marketing teams closer to Helsinki would be a sort of a low hanging fruit for Supercell because it helps them to grow by actually, you know, incre in increasing your ability to in user acquisition. Anyway, not going to the details. So guess what? Not only marketing, but also data engineering positions open up in Clash of Clans franchises. So they actually, Supercell has two open positions. So everybody, anybody who's listening to this, data engineer and digital marketing, if you are in these lines of work, amazing opportunities to join the Helsinki team as either the data marketer or a data engineer for both Clash of Clans and Clash Royale. So uh, in my personal humble opinion, uh, a great move from Supercell and definitely going towards that direction of, of improving their live service capabilities. Second part, I wanted to give a public apology for JK. So I kind of called JK out as a conspiracy theorist uh, based on his um, views on what Zynga and AppLovin are doing uh, with their acquisitions of mediation platforms and attribution platforms. But fact is, and this is a fact, you're often more right than you're wrong. <laughs> and whatever the streets you're walking, you're definitely hearing the, uh, the right words because the, the word on the street tends to be close to the truth. So public apology from a man, JK. All good, all good. I, I hope, you know, sometimes I write stuff in Slack. I hope it doesn't come off angry. Sometimes some of my guys tell me, sometimes you write stuff, it sounds angry. It's, it's, it's not. <laughs> but uh, speaking of conspiracy theories though, so I've got a first update. So first... Uh, so you have fans, Mishka. <laughs> I'd like to thank Team Mishka Conspiracy Nation for emailing <laughs> me this uh, A16Z Andreessen Horowitz article titled Breaking Down the Payment for Order Flow Debate and basically calling me a paranoid conspiracy <laughs> theorist. <laughs> so this was, this was a post from Andreessen Horowitz that it starts like, quote, in the wake of the GameStop short squeeze, payment for order flow, the practice of market makers paying brokers to execute custom orders, has fueled no small amount of debate. Is it a tactic deployed by large capital market institutions to steal money from the less informed, or is it an enabler of low cost, highly efficient stock trading for all? And then this post goes on to, pre to present, in my opinion, a pretty biased view, like this is how payment order flow works. It's a positive practice and, you know, front running doesn't happen because quote, not only is this empirically false, it's also illegal case closed. But I just, I, I just want to like basically address some of the feedback about kind of being crazy and also address this particular, uh, this particular post. And, you know, look, Everyone out there, you guys all need to make your own decisions about what you want to do, how much data you want to share. And I know there are some AppLovin' and Zynga employees who aren't super happy with some of the comments that I've made. Look, I'm not, I haven't said AppLovin' or Zynga is planning on doing anything unethical or illegal. I haven't said that. I'm just saying that what we have is a customer adversarial relationship. But let me bring some reality to this situation. Now, I've already mentioned before on the last, last podcast that this type of problem with customer data impacts even great companies like Amazon 
they have gotten into trouble for illegally using customer data to compete against their own customers. But let's come back to the specific issue about order for payment flow that we talked about last week. The fact is Citadel, when we talked about the Citadel Robinhood relationship, has already been busted and fined for quote, trading ahead of customer orders. The very, the very issue that Andreessen Horowitz is saying is completely not an issue. And so I'll put a link in the show notes, but as their letter of acceptance in response to FINRA, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority has already revealed, and I'll just read a few things from here, but uh, Citadel Securities employed pre-trade control settings and processes that removed hundreds of thousands of OTC customer orders from that logic, being the logic that they used to, uh, to for protection logic design that, that basically handles the, the order payment flow. And this is in response to FINRA, this is what they're saying actually happened. While OTC customer orders were inactive, Citadel Securities in many instances, as part of the market making activities traded for its own account on the same side of the market at prices that would have satisfied the orders without immediately thereafter executing them up to the size and at the same or better prices as it traded for its own account. Goes on further, based on this review in 559 instances, Citadel Securities traded ahead of 415 inactive OTC customer orders. So basically the thing that I've been talking about, they've already admitted to doing. Not only that, but if you go back to April of 2004, this is before Citadel entered this business. In, in what it now in 2020 controls 46% of retail order flow, okay? So Citadel's general counsel at that time urged the SEC to ban payment for order flow because it, quote, distorts order routing decisions, is anti-competitive and creates an obvious and substantial conflict of interest between broker dealers and their customers. Further, quote, because payment for order flow creates fundamental conflicts of interest that cannot be cured by disclosure, the commission should ban payment flow, payment for order flow altogether. Again, guys, so look, I don't want to go too much more in the weeds on this. That's that's all. Dude, you're fucking on. in the weeds, man. I can't even <laughs> see the world right now. We're in the weeds so much. But, Let's go, move on, dude. Okay, well, here's the point. Look, all of you guys this make like, your this own- is like a Mishka. This is a Mishka story, dude. <laughs> Wait for look, it. The point, the, point, last one. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is, is, look, all of you guys make your own decisions. I'm just here to warn you that when you share your, your data with external third parties, the stuff that's happening with AppLovin and Zinga, look, I personally think it's dangerous, but you guys make your own decisions. And I do think that, look, like some of the views from whether it's you know Andreessen Horowitz, look, no hate on Andreessen. I'm sure they mean well, and they're trying to protect one of their portfolio companies. But just the, this point is that just because something is illegal doesn't mean companies aren't going to engage in this kind of behavior. It's happened time and time and time again. Anyway, you've been warned. So that's my first big update. Couple of quick updates after this. Second update. <laughs> Turns out that as we hypothesized last week before the announcement uh, the, about the Zynga Star Wars game, it, it indeed is a cross-platform mobile and console game. There's not much revealed about the game, but the game's going to be called Star Wars Hunters 
And the, what we know right now is that it's going to be both mobile, iOS, and Android. And on the console side, it will launch on the Nintendo okay. Switch, which is- Is it just me or is everyone like super skeptical this game is going to be any good? Why in the hell would they do it for Switch of all things? Like, I mean, yeah, no one makes exactly. money on the Switch. Yeah. Right? That, that seems like a complete like, yeah, oh yeah, let's just, let's like say we're cross-platform. It's like a PR stunt more than like an actual mm. economic- decision so anyway i, I mean, don't know that, that's a pretty big effort though to you know spin up a console dev studio though right so i mean it must uh, have if been... it's if it's switch it's not it's not no no not as no, i think i it's they're using the same code probably right huh. yeah yeah it's uh, the specs are pretty low like if and it would be controls... a pc pc's queue would be more like if they would do a cross-platform yeah. because they would have to do all the payment system and so forth but right for this it's just like it's like I think it's like a startup move. You'd be like, we're cross-platform. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah, got yeah. to figure out what to do with that team, right? That team yeah. has been kind of in I, it's, CSR it's always, land for too it's long. It's always the question, like, are you guys cross-platform? Um, we could. And they're like, switch. <laughs> All right, guys. Hatter's going to hat. All right. <laughs> Third update for me. EA completed its purchase of Codemasters, a deal with $1.2 billion, and that will bring racing IPs from Codemasters, such as Dirt, Project Ars, Grid, and Formula One to EA. In the <laughs> <laughs> this is the dumbest deal ever. God, if they make anything out of this, I'll be in shock. Okay? No offense to Codemasters. You guys make amazing games, but this is not a strategic acquisition. This is just disastrous don't you guys think that this would have been such a good move for rockstar but not that uh, take two for EA? take yeah. two yeah yeah take two i mean take two needs something right they got no products in the pipeline right this makes sense for them totally i agree but even then uh, 1.2 billion dollars <laughs> going back to making right. a new racing game every year every year yeah adam yeah okay so uh, i've just got one self-service announcement um there was some awkward social media issues this week with a WB employee. Um, so I'm going to cover my butt here <laughs> as just a little bit ahead of the curve. I'm just going to say that all my comments here on the podcast are my own and they're not my employers, WBs, uh, and that all data information insight that we share on this podcast is coming from public sources, news articles, public data, as well as from Sensor Tower, who has given us permission. And intention here is to be critical and ask how we can do better. Um, not to throw stones at other teams or other other projects. Um, so really, yeah, yeah. of course. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, for most of us, why was I? Where did I, I didn't get the memo, dude? What's going on? <laughs> Some of us have to protect our jobs. Anyways, um, so please give feedback if you think we're wrong, um, and you know you should be as critical of us as we are of the topics we cover. Um, but yeah, oh, okay. I just want to cover right. my butt here. Right. That public service announcement is just all nonsense, right? Everything I say is true. I have to say it. Of course, what you say is what you believe. That's fine. Nothing that Eric says exactly should come onto my record at all. So this is this is the critical. I have everybody has to go here. So whatever Eric says, it's Eric's opinion, and we did not say that. (laughs) That's not even a public. Going on, man. Why am I am I out of the loop on what's happening? You should go take a look at Kotaku. You can you can read the article separately. But yeah, let's not cover that too right, too in depth. Okay. All right. My only update is that uh, Google, id Software, and Bungie are all subject to a class action lawsuit, and <laughs> the claim is that 
comp- the company's misled customers by saying Stadia games to be played in 4K resolution, which is exactly what I was saying this whole time, is that the, the claims that Google had 4K 60 frames per second were just always nonsense because you actually played the game. It was freaking terrible. Anyway, so they're basically going after them again for misleading the public on what this this what this service was because the service could never be as good as they said it was right and so i think things get continually worse and worse for these guys and i ultimately they shut it down by the end of the year that's kind of my guess and then just white label it but anyway we'll see how this lawsuit progresses but 4k resolution streaming give me a break all right never gonna happen all right moving on okay zynga plans to accelerate growth in 2021 i was after all the news that we saw the last like three or four weeks, there's just nothing really going on. But this is kind of a, a fluff piece. Um, oh, who did it? I, I can't even remember now. Oh, but Pocket the Gamer. Gamer. Yeah. Right. And uh, it was basically COO Matt Bromberg, who was part of the uh, EA Mafia that came over from EA to, to uh, Zynga when, when Frank took over. Basically, it was just talking about how great the game year was, that they grew 50% almost. Um, and they have eight games that made more than $100 million, which is kind of amazing. They say they're basically continuing to focus on their existing games and then also focusing on uh, the launch of Farmville and Puzzle Combat, which are actually imminent, evidently, in the next uh, three or four months. Um, and then they are looking at further acquisitions to build up their ad tech, but that's not really a primary focus, as we've kind of alluded to here on the podcast, which may or may not be true. Who knows? Um, and they seem very happy with Harry Potter, which, uh, which again has done quite well, um, given you know the performance of Willy Wonka, which was built by the same team. So my take on this: this is a typical fluff piece, you know, basically giving some exposure to Matt, who really has not been as visible um, as so you know as some of the other execs like uh, Frank and uh, the face man of Zynga, Mr. Bernard Kim, and you know basically again all these people were plucked from EA after Frank left uh, and rebuilt his team from EA within Zynga's walls. And, uh, but I can't really pick it apart. I mean, I think Zynga's prospects are actually quite good for the next, you know, couple quarters at least. I am a little bit worried about um, scaling these games, uh, Puzzle Combat in particular, given post IDFA, because it looks like it's going to launch, you know, right on top of that. Um, but uh, I don't even know why Pocket Gamer would do this. The only reason, I guess the only, one of the reasons I want to say, talk about it is like, this is a total fluff piece that Pocket Gamer gets to get in with the PR of Zynga, right? So like now they've established a relationship with Zynga, they can do this piece. And so they'll get more, probably more you access. You know why. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling people why. I'm just telling yeah. people why these things exist, right? Yeah. And uh, and so now Pocket Gamer gets more access to EA management or Zynga management going forward. It's kind of a typical thing. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's also part of sponsorship deals, right? So let, let's yes. just be real. Right. Yeah, 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 right, let's... right, right, right. So um, who, who won so... The, the publisher of the year? Like last Pocket Gamer event that was held in, in London, like back when we were all on all in, in one space, Bernard Kim was picking up that, that reward. So is that right? Oh, geez. yeah, right. yeah. He's uh, oh, that's he's... even more incestuous. Ew. <laughs> yeah, no, the, I, I feel a little. I feel Pocket dirty game. now. Now I'm so, not even talking about it. And now oh. you're promoting this this article that. <laughs> no, I just no. I want to. I am a public service it. announcement that this yeah. fluff bullshit happens mm. all the time and ignore it. Right? I mean, Bromberg. Look, he's a great guy. Like he's a, he's probably a really tough tough dude. So good for him. Anyway, my thing with that uh, Zynga is I'm worried about post acquisition after Q2. 
uh, of, of once Pete goes pro forma, then they have to have mm-hmm. tougher comps in Q3 and Q4, and they have to really scale these games in order to make them happen, make 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 that happen, or do another acquisition, which I think acquisitions are getting a little harder to find that are of scale, frankly. So that's it. I just wanted to point that out. Talk about Zynga a little bit. All right, I had to I had to dig um, at least some data because this article was was not an article. It was something that uh, comms coordinator wrote and just sent to Pocket Gamer for publishing. So I dug a little bit of a d- data, just Zynga's game revenues from last year compared to this year. And I do have to say, like, there's no way you can you can say anything else than than Zynga is a top notch publisher. I mean, first of all, they are live ops masters. I looked at the t- top 20 games, top 20 grossing games in their portfolio, and only three out of 17 top grossing games in their portfolio actually declined last year. And those three, I can even name the games. It would be Willy Wonka declined and uh, Farmville Tropic Escape, as well as Dawn of Titans. Oh, sorry, Wizard of Oz. Dawn of Titans and Farvel. So basically those three games make less than 3% of all the revenue. So meaning 17 games out of their top 20 increased in live ops last year. Secondly, they can launch and grow games. We've seen this over and over again. Merge Dragons, um, Harry Potter Puzzles and Spells, great example from last year. So their, their UA capabilities as well as abilities to launch are fantastic. Uh, they are genre masters across multiple different studios, racing, simulation, puzzle, casino, RPG, damn near everything except strategy and shooters. Uh, Zynga has it. They're, they have a fantastically diversified portfolio, so they're not hit by any kind of you know big trends. Like if casino is starting to go down, they're already diversified from it a long time ago. They're fantastic at M&A. So whatever, wherever they need to jump, they can actually do that because they can acquire companies and, and expand to that. And they're also really good at working with IPs. So that is something that they have going for them in the post-ATT world because they, them matching an IP to, to any of their, their titles is you know pretty straightforward. I mean, they're already working with Star Wars. So I think uh, the, what they will be acquiring next is definitely something in the ad tech that will allow them to more efficiently run the, run the cross promotion across their internal vast major vast Very uh, portfolio of games. <laughs> without without going into any, I'm not going to even say the name. Listen, J.K., I threw you a bone. I was like, J.K. is not into conspiracy <laughs> theories, and then you just ranted. <laughs> <laughs> not in a long I'm way and warned kidding. everybody so so I, what, what i'm saying is that that they have a really really big portfolio and with with the with proper ad tech proper attribution platform they can actually make good with this sort of a idfv like it should be working so i think i think zynga is positioned extremely well and they're showing already to investors that they're looking outside the outside mobile and i think the next real step for them will be taking some of these um, some of these probably casino games first and, and some other more hardcore games to, uh, to PC SKUs where they will be making probably 20% of, of revenues from those. I, I don't, I, I don't think that's, <laughs> that's going to work. All right, moving on. BlizzCon. Yeah. Let's talk about BlizzCon. So it happened last weekend. Um, the major announcements, uh, I'll quickly go through those. Like Overwatch 2 had a pretty minor update. There was no release date announced. Um, the notes that I've got here actually come from before the conference. Um, things to keep in mind with Overwatch 2, they're exploring no loot boxes for monetization for that game. It's going to have a heavy focus on PvE content, so story campaign content instead of just PvP. And as well, um, I'm not sure if they've confirmed this recently, but there's talk that it, 
Overwatch 1 will actually receive all PvP updates that are coming to Overwatch 2. Um, second, we've got World of Warcraft. So they're actually continuing on that World of Warcraft classic train. They are now re-releasing the Burning Crusade expansion uh, within 2021. So continuing that classic kind of window. Um, and then of course Shadowlands, uh, they're gonna be adding a new chapter called Chains of Domination, just for Eric, just for him to jump back Dude, in. Dude, I'm already in, man. That's like the only game I'm playing right now, which is pretty sad, but uh, I'm just not raiding. But we'll see. I'll play the Chains of Domination. Sounds oh. interesting. All right. Well, come play Valheim with me instead. <laughs> All right. I, I, well, I, do, I would do want to try that. Oh, we're talking about that later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the real notables with this conference, at least from my perspective, were Hearthstone and Diablo. Uh, very much more on Diablo side. Um, on Hearthstone, I've got a couple notes here. Um, they're trying to really shake things up as much as they can. Uh, if you can see the sensor tower revenue, you can see that it's been steadily de declining over the last few years. Right? They're now trying to shift their base or core set out of rank play and coming up with a whole new core set. And I think this is just inevitable uh, with the core set being effectively the same for seven years now. Um, so I hope they can build out a new, new entry point and start bringing back some of those churn players with this new core set. Um, and the most notable change was a new mode called Mercenaries. Um, it takes design notes actually from Slay the Spire um, and trading card game roguelikes, uh, which have been showing very impressive numbers on PC and Steam. Um, the major question for me is whether this will go the same way as their auto chess mode, uh, which didn't really reinforce the core loop. And there really was no improvement in engagement or revenue that declined steadily afterwards. So they cannibalize if, the shit out of each of themselves, right? Right, like it, you create this super engaging side mode that has no reinforcement to any of the mechanics you have in your main has so yeah with with auto chess right like it had to own set of cards and purchasing new expansion packs had such a minimal impact it had this little like bonus meter that gave you new emojis what do you think is like, gonna happen i i, I don't right? even understand how this even made it to i guess they were worried about they're trying to improve engagement but anyway moving on so well, but they have to they have to change to change this structurally as much as they can right there what there is an opportunity with auto chess there is an opportunity with slay the spire or, or mercenaries mode that you you could figure out a way to connect these two, but I think it's extremely, extremely difficult without breaking your live content model. Um, because, and I say this because I think Slave the Spire's engagement model is actually very similar to Auto Chess in terms of what it will do to force that team. As players collect goal one runs, collect more cards, add to their deck, uh, which unlocks new synergies. That's the whole core loop of Slay the Spire. And I feel like that's very counter to how Hearthstone operates and will be very, very hard to structure within. So likely this will end up as just another blip of engagement rather than something long lasting um, that could actually structurally change how Hearthstone operates. Uh, unfortunate because I'm a big fan of Hearthstone and a big fan of Slayer's Bar. Um, let's move forward to Diablo, which was the bigger news items for BlitzCon. Um, so the big thing, Diablo 2 Remaster, as we called it before, um, got announced and is targeting PC console released by 2021. Um, and from the videos, it looks like it's a completely faithful remaster. They're touting it right down to the pixel. You can turn on a mode that actually flips it and you can go right back to the old original mode running the same engine. So likely this is exactly what all the Diablo fanboys, including myself, wanted. It's not gonna be Warcraft Reforged again. Um, Diablo 4 had some minor- well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, do you think there's a real chance that this thing does extremely well or is this just a fanboy like four to five million unit type forty dollar thing 
I think this is just a this is just a Tony Hawk Pro Skater remaster, right? This is yeah. It, it will yeah, capture it. Did, it did, but, no, yeah, there's no business models attached to it. It's just basically a forty dollar product, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So Adam, when you say this. it's not going to be Warcraft Reforged, I mean I'm seeing some news articles that saying it's exactly the same. Well, like, Warcraft Reforged was a train wreck, right? Yeah, I think yeah. they tried to do way too much with Warcraft Three. Yeah. Okay. Like this one is a absolutely a faithful, yeah, absolutely faithful remaster. That they tried to change a lot. I mean, they they basically turn you know shut down the team and you know yeah. hired these guys, Vicarious Visions, to do Diablo Two remaster. But I, I I don't see the upside here. But whatever, it's it, it's it's a cash grab. And the, while they wait for Diablo Four, right, which looks deep in development, I'm not sure when it's going to be coming out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then the design, um, the design notes updates that they had, right? Like new rogue class, cool from Diablo one. And it looks like they're leaning more into like destiny or world of Warcraft style MMO design uh, in their end game, which look, look, I'm sorry. I'm going to, before we get to immortals, like this was like the most, the boringest freaking BlizzCon ever, right? Like they didn't say anything about the games that mattered, right? They spent more time on immortals and Diablo two remaster Hearthstone, which I think is becoming which less game and less matters to you. Overwatch and Diablo are the only two games that matter oh, okay. for this company. Yeah, so they gave updates. There was no, there was no information. Like there's yeah. no like, and it looks like these things are so far off. Like it, it makes me worried that Overwatch won't even come out next year. You know, and then Diablo seems like it could be ten years from now. Who knows, man? Like, but I guess the overlords at Activision will never let that happen. It's Blizzard, man. Too, <laughs> no, it it's not Blizzard anymore, dude. This is Activision. <laughs> this is it's not Blizzard yeah. anymore. It's really Activision. So Activision's in charge, and so they can't get games out. It's just as bad as Blizzard was, right? So, all right, moving on. Diablo Immortals. Uh, Diablo Immortals um, also had some minor announcements. Um, so there's no release date yet, um, but the conversation there really showed the design team's intent is really to become a mobile MMO. Um, so probably good that they're part partnering with Netties and a lot of those, you know, lineage types of games. The focus on their end game, they really talked about being more synchronous play dungeon raids. So co-op dungeon raids, like in an MMO, as well as synchronous PVP events. So talked about what? like opening up a chest and then, you know, a little circle, you got to defend that chest while everybody else runs in and stabs you and steals your loot. Um, <laughs> Eric is upset. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, no, this is a surprise to me because I didn't think they would add PvP to uh, Diablo. So I think this is actually really, really positive for the Asian skew, but this is mm -hmm. just not going to work for the West, in my yeah. opinion. But um, moving on. I mean, my, I, actually, I'd like to get your opinion on that. But Yeah, my feedback, I, I like I see this stuff as like icing on the cake, the stuff that you kind of use as drivers into the end game, right, to, to make the progression systems all worthwhile. But my notes are really all just on the progression systems. I still have um, flags in terms of the way that they're building out this game because all of these systems they're talking about rely on a very, very deep progression system that scales better than traditional mobile CCRPGs. Um, like PVE services right now on, on mobile and console PC regardless are extremely difficult to get right. And the rules of content consumption to system depth are the same whether you're talking about an MMO or you're talking about a mobile CCRPG. And that's why very few in the West have actually figured out that mix properly. And I think them sidestepping loot boxes and going to a battle pass and these kind of like these ticket systems, that's inflated the reward systems. So requiring deeper progression. 
focused on synchronous PvP, as well as Diablo systems being very linear, with most most loot being throwaway. Scaling is going to be a lot more harder, or a lot harder than most CCRPGs. So I think every element being faithful to Diablo and being player friendly puts more strain on the progression systems to be deeper and the content requirements even higher. So these are my worries. Um, I'm excited for this. Like that, I love Diablo and I think they're doing some really clever things here. So I'm not gonna pass judgment on this until I can actually play. Um, but those are really my notes. Um, they're really setting themselves up that they have to have the deepest progression systems in order to fuel this live service. Eric? Yeah, I mean, I I was just so un over underwhelmed by this because I, even my expectations were a little bit higher than what they did. Like I expected like timing on Diablo. Like I thought Diablo 2 remaster was coming out this quarter, right? So like, I don't know what, there must be some delay there. I thought Immortal would at least be in beta during this announcement. I think that was the plan that's been delayed, right? So they are literally like missing every date it seems. And then they come out and they talk about the things again that people are most excited about and they say freaking nothing, right? They say nothing over a two day period, right? So these guys are not firing on all cylinders, right? And I, I'm, I'm, I'm worried, I'm worried, you know, like I, that, that Overwatch is not gonna make it next year. Diablo is like, is just a pipe dream that's gonna happen. I mean, one class, that's all they could come up with, right? One rogue class, I mean, come on. Like that's nothing, that's meaningless to, to the audience. So- Nostalgia, I, man. Diablo one rogue class coming back. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think it was just a huge disappointment for the fan base. Of, of Blizzard and and I think it's just kind of mo more indications that things are not going so well over there. Um, but uh, you know, we'll see. I'm actually excited. I, I, the Immortal thing, I'm, I'm getting more confident that this feels more like, um, you know, Mario, what is it? What is the, <laughs> the Mario mobile game? It you feels like a game that everyone's gonna download and play, but no one's gonna mm. finish and, and no one's gonna need to spend in order to finish the content. and. And it's just gonna die on the vine, right? What um, can you guys tell me about this remastered thing? Like, is it is it really a thing? Like, I played Diablo two when it came out. Like, is it is it real business to remaster old games to redo them? There have been a few that have been really successful. Like he said, Tony Hawk um, did the really Crash well. Bandicoot one did well. Crash Bandicoot well. did pretty yeah. well. Okay. Um, I mean, there is a nostalgia factor, and I, and I always joke is that the Blizzard fanboys, dude. They wipe their butt with 40 bucks, right? They'll just buy anything for $40, right? Like, I mean, so like there's an inherent audience that's gonna buy this no matter what. Mm. Um, and it's it is kind of a cash grab, but it's not gonna bring new people into the franchise, yeah. right? It, it was I remember when StarCraft one remastered came out and we played it at the studio. And I played StarCraft before that, and then I played StarCraft remastered one, and I was like damn, this is a shitty game. Like I remembered it was amazing, but then playing it as a, even as a remastered version was kind of like, if I would play Command and Conquer one, which I still have in my memory, like the best game ever with the soundtracks and everything. If I played it now, I'd be like, this is dog shit. Like, what was I thinking? No, yeah, yeah it did make a remaster of that too. Oh, okay. With, well. with Red Alert, with all the soundtrack. Yeah. And actually did, yeah. you know, did fine. I don't think Okay, that did just well, asking, but... I don't know the business side of, of remastering things, so. Yeah, actually, I, mean... I think the same way about Knights of the Old Republic, right? Because I remember that as such a fantastic game, but I was just kind of thinking about it. I was like, I wonder if it came back today, remastered, whether I would actually think it's a great game or not, but. Yeah, I, I'm gonna... yeah the court, it doesn't hold up. It's basically what you're saying. It's like, it doesn't hold up. Like you, 
you, you know, you watch old TV shows, some will hold up really well and some don't, you know? Yeah, like E.T. would be horrible if you watched it again. You'd be like, that's a puppet. <laughs> like, what am I watching? And then back then, that was like the top of the notch. <laughs> Somebody's moving a optimistic- puppet. I'm going to take the optimistic view, though, on Diablo Immortals. I, I just think that, you know, ARPG MMO does sound yeah. pretty good. And yeah, then yeah. it just, it taps into, like, everyone wants some type of co-op mobile gameplay mm-hmm. experience, especially, you know, as an RPG. So I, I, there, I totally agree with you, Adam. There's high execution risk, but hopefully they get it right. Yeah, and, and yeah I, agree cross, with I agree with that. They're doing cross-platform and cross-progression, um, uh, so you can play on console and PC. I mean, I think that's pretty smart. But that's that, like that's new. on that's the remastered on Immortals. Oh, what are we talking? We're talking Immortals, Immortals now. Yeah, oh, you're talking about Jake, Immortals. I'm sorry. I'm sorry yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, on. moving on. So Valheim, how a five-person team created the most popular game on Steam. So. IGN reports that back in 1300 CE, the highest recorded total of the Viking population was 500K people. Two weeks into launch, 3 million people purchased the game on Steam. And at the time, Sebastian Badilak, executive producer at Coffee Steam Publishing said, quote, we've been refreshing the sales report to get the latest numbers and it's showing no signs of slowing down. And so for context, Valheim is an open world survival game with online multiplayer for up to 10 total players. It's a procedurally generated sandbox world where you start off with just a pair of pants and do the typical survival stuff of scavenge for food and you craft stuff. Some of the difference of Valheim versus other survival games. First, the game is heavily PVE. Also, it's highly directed with specific goals and objectives. And third, a lot less conflict between players. And you can actually toggle off the ability to attack other players. So you can, you know, so there are some PVP elements, but but that's kind of configurable. Uh, Most surprisingly, the game was developed by a team of five, starting back with Richard Svensson, just starting as a side project in his own time back in 2018. Later on, his partner Tornquist joined in mid-2019, and then by 2020, they expanded to five and got a publishing deal with Coffee Stain. Anyway, congrats to the team here for doing a really impressive job and having a pretty massive success. And as a quick update, Gamma Sutra reported yesterday that the game has hit over 500,000 concurrent players on Steam in under three weeks. This made it the third most popular game on Steam when it hit its peak and also the fifth highest all-time peak on Steam behind PUBG, CSGO, Dota 2, and Cyberpunk 2077. What do you think, guys? Yeah, I've actually been playing this game a lot. Um, and I'm much more excited about the survival genre, like in particular. Like when you're talking there, like there is there is multiple different types of survival games, right? Like. This is a PVE survival game. It's also PVP survival. I was actually playing Rust a lot just before moving over to Valheim. And it's so refreshing to go into a world where it's nice and safe and I can have a nice fun time, build up my things um, and you know have clear goals without a little kid coming in behind me and stabbing me in the back and stealing everything. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's actually, it's a great game. It's like a really refined um, Minecraft game. Um, and really like CCU and Playtime look incredibly impressive on this title, right? Like uh, looking at Playtime from Steam Spy, 20 hours median Playtime in less than a month of being launched. That's, that's impressive. 
Um, so that speaks to probably some very, very um, strong engagement underneath. Um, so this could be a very strong live service. Um, personally, I'm actually pretty surprised by this response because I think there's like, there's a ton of really good PVE focused survival games on Steam that just never got this type of traction, like satisfactory. Um, so I just to see this game blow up, it's like, wow, okay, what, what was it that actually blew this game up? Right? Was it theme? Was it execution? What was it? I don't really have any real solid ideas. Like it's just it's a solid game, but it's not as if you know many of the other games on on Steam are that much different, right? Um, in terms of my takeaways here, I think the only thing I would say is it puts a little bit of winds in the sails of Microsoft's strategy. Um, if you've been paying attention to it, I think it's like Sea of Thieves. Forget the other game that they have about um, kind of growing up in a garden, but a lot of these PVE sandbox games that they're moving towards. Um, the genre is growing and it's targeting the right demographics. And I think Volheim is just the type of games that they're shifting their their studios towards. And I think this can, shows that there's going to be continued healthy interest in, in this genre. Eric? Yeah. I, 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 is there any like monetization after the fact or is this just a 20 bucks? I'm sure, I'm sure they might do some expansions. Like it might be the ARC model where they just throw some expansions quarterly, something like that. Speculation. But. Yeah. I mean, it was... For me, as an old man, it was easier to pick up and play. It's kind of guiding you through kind of the early stages of, of what the game's about. So that kind of helps. So I don't know. I'm going to play it. I'm going to Stan Kwan uh, uh, invited me to play. And so we're going to try to play it tonight and goof around um, and check it out. So it's very yeah. cool. Cool story. All right. Last one, Rovio in 2020. So this is for their from their financial report. And before we jump in to reviewing this, there's actually a hot day, hot update. So Iron Source acquired a video and playable ad platform, Luna Labs. From, this is just recently from TechCrunch as we're filming this. So Luna Labs is a platform allowing app developers to create and manage video and playable ads. We had actually their CEO, Stephen Chard, on the podcast, so you can go in and check that one out. So congrats to Stephen Chard, the CEO, John Wright. Kelly Chu, all, them, all my people at Luna Labs, and of course, our friends at Iron Source for a fantastic acquisition. Anyway, let's jump into to, um, to Rovio. Uh, let's jump into it. So Rovio in 2020. Uh, in short, revenue was down slightly, just like with, with Supercell, but their EBITDA was up nearly a double, unlike with the, uh, with the Supercell's financials. The weird part about looking through, through the, um, through the uh, public, through the report is that they paid dividends of 12 cents per share, which was up from nine cents uh, last year. And likely this is due to Rovio's kind of very family heavy ownership. And this is what I would do with my company as well. I would naturally uh, take dividends out of it, but not typical for, in, not typical in my experience from, from, from any kind of like a gaming and tech company overall. So there was a, there was this sort of a CEO message. I mean, like in every report, and this was uh, reminiscent a lot of the uh, the Supercell CEO's message. But uh, essentially, their new CEO Alex Pelletier Normand, um, I can't pronounce French names, but APN, let's call him APN. Uh, he's the ex head of games, ex GameLoft COO. Uh, he's been working at Rovio for a little over a year, perhaps. Uh, and is now nominated since the beginning of the year as the CEO. He's also actually a member of the DOF Slack channel, so you can, yeah, you can ask him uh -oh. any questions there. <laughs> yeah, so so be careful. Uh -oh, anyway, uh, key messages, key messages from his post. Uh, Rovio is focusing on three things: casual games, their strong brand, as well as strong balance sheet. 
He talked he talked about AB2, which was up nearly 50%, 50%, uh, sorry, which was up by, um, I have the number somewhere, according to Sensor Towers, up by 6%, but it's important to talk about AB2 because it makes nearly 50% of all portfolio revenues for Rovio. Um, he talked about the decline of Angry Birds Dream Blast. Uh, he talks about Angry Birds Friends, which is a very, very, very old title. I think it launched in 2011 or 2012. And it actually had its best quarter since 2018. So the live op team on that did some kind of a voodoo magic or I don't know what happened, but it was up. He talks about the new studio that they established in 2020 in Montreal. The studio uh, I'm quoting here is exploring trends that will drive the games of tomorrow, including games being used as social networks, the switch towards post-platform paradigm and the emergence of the metaverse. So- um, oh my God. So heaven help I, us. Rovio making say, a metaverse game. Jesus. No, no. Okay. So before, and please keep in mind, there are my opinions and there's Eric's opinions after listening to this. But like, so, do, do you agree with the metaverse? Definitely a very, very. <laughs> you need to uh, you need to crawl before you can walk. You can't you can't just go from doing Angry Birds casual to freaking the metaverse. I mean, that's just nutty, dude. I don't even know. Yeah, what I mean, I believe is. in the metaverse. I believe I, Epic I, can do it. I can believe Roblox can do it. Hell, I even EA. Nah, not yeah. yet. So, <laughs> so there was so there was definitely a lot of a lot of interesting words in in this one. It, I have to, I read this, but anyways, uh, he talks about the acquisition of, of of Copenhagen Studio that is shipping Dark Fire Heroes in April. So uh, the acquisition of the Copenhagen Studio that is an ex wargaming studio, and they inherited that project, and they are seemingly being able to turn that project around because there might be a reason why uh, wargaming dropped the studio. Ooh. Anyway, towards the end of the year, he talks about shifting Stockholm studio strategy from mid-core towards advanced casual games to build upon the experiences of Angry Birds 2. So Stockholm Studios, they actually actually the one responsible for Angry Birds 2 and them focusing on similar type of advanced casual games makes all the sense in the world. Regarding ATT, uh, he's saying, we are ready for this change. Um, on the M&A front, I'm quoting again, they're saying that we engage with companies that have innovative games, clear synergies, and talented teams that share our vision of the future. So that's basically Rovio's uh, M&A strategy in one sentence. Um, naturally, this, this CEO message wasn't as informal as Supercell's CEO blog post because Rovio is a public company. Um, what I, what's interesting is that they actually changed the, uh, the company mission. So it used to be... Uh, to inspire people by crafting the best games and entertainment in the world. And the current Rovio mission that, that was, uh, it wasn't at least publicly stated that they changed it, is to craft joy with player focused gaming experiences that last for decades. Okay. And of course that, that reminds you of the Supercell mission of um, create games that are played for years and remembered forever. So very, very um, close to, to others. Uh, anyway, I'm just going to go quickly through the, uh, the through everything. I'm not going to go deeper into the portfolio analysis. Uh, they Their portfolio was up a bit. As I told some of the games were up, uh, they launched a new game, Small Town Murders, clearly have, having good RPIs, as well as the Sugar Blast that they launched last, last not yet, in 2019. But the problem is that they haven't been able to scale at least as, as quickly as, as they were expecting, most likely. 
there were several <laughs> games that were cut in the soft launch and there are several more reskins coming in. As I was looking through the sensor tower data, there were games like Lily Blast, which is uh, probably very close to a combination of Dream Blast and Lily's Garden. But the uh, the big thing is that that they still have Hatch and they actually had a, had a big statement here is uh, why they didn't make as much money in the end was was Hatch and they they um, they talk about alternative financial structures and partnership that they were exploring for Hatch and now how they focused on Hatch Kids. We've all covered this here. They talk about restructuring Hatch and the new cost level is actualized from June 2020. So it's apparent that they caught a lot of headcount and now Hatch is not um, draining the company as much. So in short, I'm going to cut it from here as my take is Rovio is actually an undervalued company. Their market cap is 495 million euros. Their revenues are 272 million euros and their profit is 47 million. And when we think about great publishers, like, you know, I went through the Zynga before, it's live services, growth, genre mastery and diversified portfolio. Rovio has kind of mixed results on these. They're, they have mixed results on live ops, great results in, in Angry Birds 2, a great results in Angry Birds Friends, but then in the others, it's not that great. Uh, when you think about their portfolio, it is not that diversified. And actually, when you look at the diversification towards RPGs and other genres, they haven't worked uh, till till date, even with with the uh, Angry Birds IPs on top of them. And um, and overall, their portfolio. I mean, if you start going through it, it's it's very Angry Birds heavy, and they seem to be very good at launching and making Angry Birds games but they haven't really proven out that they could do other than Angry Birds games. And even the reskins of successful Angry Birds games are not flying off the shelf. It's mainly the Angry Birds versions of them that are doing pretty well. So if I would do my two cents based on this financial report, it's of course um, divest from Hatch, which they are doing already. Uh, it would be, you know, I, I would say it's a question mark on how well they can execute on mid-core, especially since they're, since they're jumping in now as the ATT is coming and it's very difficult to scale mid-core games. Um, with limited data. And of course, it's a, it's a question mark as we discussed, these, these long shots of exploring the future trends, the trends of tomorrow, the metaverses. I think as, as Eric said, it's, it's really important to execute in where you are and then probably move forward from that. But overall, definitely an undervalued company. I don't know where to even begin with this one. Um, Just be gentle. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just it's a little bit sad you know like these ogs of, of mobile just are not doing well supercell king rovio you know like um they just have not been able to leverage their brands which are literally the largest brands in mobile and they can't grow you know like this was literally one of the biggest years in mobile gaming and these guys barely grew right their portfolio is completely not diversified because all it is is angry birds 70% of their revenue is being driven by two games with the same freaking name, more or less, right? Um, the stock is flatlined for the last few years. Uh, I do think the, the Angry Birds 2 performance is relatively impressive. I think they actually did make something of that. So I'll give them that. And it's maintained its revenue for four years. So it's like a forever franchise. And mm -hmm. to your point, I'm actually not arguing with you on this one. I, I think they are an acquisition candidate because I think people could do better. I think I think other managers could do better with this asset is what I think could happen, right? I think it's a huge asset. Um, 
but they keep playing from the old playbooks, right? I'm, they want to go more casual. Like they have a game in, in soft launch called uh, Angry Birds something something <laughs> again. That, Ang- that, Angry Birds Journey. Yeah. Journey, and it's actually a more casual version of Angry Birds. Are you joking? Like, no, that's not what we want, right? That's not what we want, right? That doesn't make any sense. Um, so the good news for them is that brands might be a big thing post IDFA. Like they may have value here. And if I were, someone that was acquiring companies, I would. I don't know how hard it is to acquire someone, a company like this, um, and actually makes changes and, and fire a lot of people and make things happen. But that's what that's what it would take. And you leverage those brands, you acquire another team. This is my strategy for them, right? Leverage your brands, right? Find teams that can make contemporary games that make fucking money on mobile and give them the IP to build these games and 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 to take it take it forward, right? Because it doesn't seem to be working making the same game over and over again, banging your head against the wall. That's what doesn't make sense to me. And the metaverse, are you joking? Stop, stop even talking about it, right? Like that's not gonna, bring, that doesn't bring confidence to the investors that you guys are out there spending money against the metaverse. You're out of your minds, right? Stop that, stop that immediately, right? That PR is bad PR for investors, okay? Um, but I think I, you're right. I think this asset is actually worth something, you know, but I, I still think it's being mismanaged, you know, to this day. Um, I think create again, creating the same game over and over again is not the right strategy. Building a racing game on mobile is ridiculously stupid. And, and don't get me started on Hutch or Hatch or whatever the hell that thing was that, that, that was made no sense to begin with. Anyway, what, what right? racing game, what racing game are you talking about? The Angry Birds racing game. I don't know, whatever that racing game was. The, 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 the was Mario Kart stuff. Ago, that was a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> no, but this is the kind of strategy Eric, that they Eric really holds a grudge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that game was called Angry Birds Go, and that yeah. was released back when I was at Rovio, and that was like 2013. Oh, so you were at fault. Yeah. 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 This whole thing going back to me. Yeah. Anyway. Like, but, I, but I would say, like, Rovio, Rovio is one of the few companies, like, they are leveraging their brand, right? Like, there was a point there where pretty much all of their internal projects were an Angry Birds plus something. And they were, you know, acquiring or partnering with studios um, to try to leverage that, right? Like that's yeah. how Angry Birds RPG or Angry Birds Epic was built, right? And the racing game too. That and was the racing game. game. So there you go, Eric. They, they, did, they did your strategy and now okay. you hate No, no. Them. I'm saying, I'm saying you... The first thing you do is you don't put a game with your IP on, in the racing category, right? That Because the racing category is trash, right? Stop making racing games, all right? Why aren't they owning the puzzle genre? Why aren't they involved in casino? You know, why aren't they involved casino? in... A, <laughs> leverage the casino? brand for casino. It's a big brand, right? Why? I mean, that's better than doing a racing game, which never had a chance of making money. But that was in 2013. <laughs> no, I'm Might as well do the Angry Heim. <laughs> Survival. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and, yeah. And, and, and they basically sat on their own laurels and they did not acquire and be, build new studios with new experiences, right? This actually game that's in soft launch is actually exactly something that I would try to do. I don't know if they're going to support it the way it needs to. The, the metrics look decent in fucking soft launch, Darkfire Heroes. Yeah, but, but the metrics on their puzzle games look pretty good as well. Like if you look at the RPIs on, on Sugar Blast, uh, I don't know if it's called Sugar Blast, but, but something with-, with Oh, you're uh, out of your with, mind. Uh, if you look at the RPIs for the Small Town Murder, that's, uh, they're also not, not half as bad. So they're- I think the, the uh, same the comment challenge- I made to you last week. If mm-hmm. it was true, then they'd be able to scale these games with UA, well, right? Well, it depends on how well you monetize. So it's, it's usually 
that, that's that's the big question. So usually when companies say like, we have pretty good RPIs, we have pretty good numbers, to some extent, if you're unable to push more user acquisition, that means you're not monetizing well enough. And while you're not monetizing, <coughs> sorry, it, it might be because of lack of content, it might that at least lack of retention. But you, you, you just said the RPIs are good. The metrics are on a, good. On a certain scale. Stop mixing words. If, if the numbers are good, then you support it with UA. If it's not good, you fucking dump it. And that's what they're doing. Things right? change. The, the more you scale, the more the numbers change. Okay. I, As you increase talking, the size of your audience. Nonsense. Look, I think Rovio is a good asset. For 500 million, that seems far better than some of the other stuff that's been acquired recently. Yes, yeah? I, I mean, agree. I think the brands themselves are worth that, probably. So I think we I'm agree. On this. We agree. Rovio is yeah, undervalued. But if, but if I hear, if I see another press release on the metaverse, <laughs> <laughs> Angry Birds, goddamn mind. Yeah. Angry you're, Birds you're. Metaverse, right? Come on. So next week we have to do no, I do, uh, League I, of Legends Wild Rift. We have to do the Metaverse, and we have to do blockchain all at once. I have, I have one more, one one more thing. So my first day at Rovio back in like 2012 or 13, I don't remember. Like long, long, long time ago. I was just pretty new. I came in and I was having a meeting with my manager, and uh, and a guy came in through that room into a room, and he was like. I don't know what he was doing, but he was started talking to me about stuff. And I was like, so what do you do here? And he's like, well, I'm building a bank, like a real bank. And we kind of call it a piggy bank, bad piggy bank. <laughs> and I was like, this, this was like when, when, when Angry Birds was the highest thing ever. And they were trying to do everything. And I was like, where am I? Like the, the guy that had no, no idea what banking industry is just came to me and said he's building a bank. And then he left. I was like, All to build right. a bank or what? Yeah, yeah. He just—it was like he was so fired up, and he was telling me that he's building a, a real bank where people can put in money and talk about cryptocurrency and whatever. And I was like, okay, all righty then. I thought this was a gaming company, but that was back in the days. And, and I'm sure, um, I'm sure, yeah, <laughs> it's not like that now. Yes, uh, I I can assure you, nobody came to me and were telling me that they were building a bank or any other type of craziness. So, all power to them. Undervalued. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all, all agree. Right, I, They're probably I, I in play. Gotta go, I, I got to go to another call, but um, it's good talking. Until next right. week. <laughs> good talking. <laughs> See you guys. Right. Right. Subscribe. Let's, Time to, uh, yeah. Subscribe, Bye. rate, send something, do something, and see you next week. <laughs> yeah, just review bomb us, please. Um, <laughs>